Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Dominic Mazzoni from Med Spa Partners. Okay, everybody, Alex Tiersch here, AmSpa Podcast. We have part two of our good friend Dominic Mazzoni. Um, of MedSpa Partners, which um, MedSpa Partners, by the way, for those of you who are just joining us, we did part one. Gosh, it'll be a couple weeks ago when this comes out. Um, it's, we've gotten a great response from it. Um, it's been it's been one of our most listened to episodes. People have, have given us a lot of great feedback on it, so I encourage you to go back and take a listen to that. Dominic, thanks for joining us again. Alex, fantastic to be here. We had a ton of fun the first time. I'm hoping, hoping we can surpass this time. Yeah, well, we, you know, you know, you're you're one of the lucky few that we do. We're doing part one and part two. I think you know Ben Hernandez is one. We've done a, like Terry Ross maybe back in the day, but you know this is this is rare air that you're in. So <laughs> pretty it. soon I you're going to need to get your Amspot tattoo. Um, we'll go ahead and facilitate that if you want. All right, no problem. As long as I get to pick the location, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm good. <laughs> so. Um, First of all, what's what 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 was interesting was since our conversation, which again wasn't that long ago, a couple of weeks. Um, there's been there's been quite a few things that have been going on with MedSpot Partners. You guys have been in the news. I saw you popped up on some of my um, some of my RSS feeds that are coming in from various press releases. So tell me what's uh, tell me what you've been doing for the past few days, and I think that'll lead that'll lead into um, to, to our discussion. Yeah, so last time around, we were excited to talk about how we were launching in the U.S., and now we can say we have launched in the U.S. Dr. Stephen, Diane, uh, obviously world-renowned physician uh, and, you know, medical stacks pioneer, uh, has joined MedSpa Partners. Uh, we're really, really excited to have uh, Dr. Dion with us. He's amazing. And in so many different ways. And so this has kicked off our, our U.S. Uh, expansion and just several more transactions uh, that we'll be announcing soon. Uh, so we're, we're fully uh, in the mix now, and uh, it's pretty exciting. And with, you know, the podcast, uh, it was so great. We've gotten so many inquiries um, from across the country and people that are interested in what we're doing, uh, people are interested in us looking at potentially acquiring their their med spas, uh, and just really cool questions. Um, just the, kind of the, your basic ones, which are, you know, what are geographies you're looking at? Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, we're looking at all geographies. Um, uh, one interesting one we're getting a lot is, what are we doing with our training centers? So there's a lot mm-hmm. of people that want to either A, uh, teach and be a trainer, or B, come in and be able to uh, be in a position where they're going to need training for their folks. And they're actually really trying to find out, Hey, what, what can we do? Like right. what's, what's possible uh, with us together. So right. that was really cool. Um, so the other just, thing- just real quick, Dominic, um, because I want to make sure there, there are invariably going to be some new listeners who, who, who haven't uh, heard the first one. Um, MedSpot Partners is, you know, kind of a pure MSO structure, which is a, a it basically comes in and manages, um, provides the management um, side for, for, for your clinic. Just give everybody, you know, because we've already gone back and discussed it at some length. But go ahead, because I know I'll screw it up um, 
give us just kind of a quick 30 second view of what MedSpot Partners do and then it does. And then let's jump into some of these questions specifically, because because I, I, I'm sure if people have these questions that others are going to have them as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I love doing that. MedSpot Partners uh, is a company that's solely focused on medical aesthetics. We acquire um, medical aesthetic practices, uh, particularly we're very focused on, on, on doctor-ran practices as well as entrepreneur-ran practices and nurse practices that we've uh, done as well. We are very interested in the best of the best. Uh, we're not interested in a ton of locations. We're interested in fantastic locations. Uh, when a company goes with MedSpot Partners and we come in and acquire, almost everybody is a partner, uh, meaning they roll equity into our mothership. So they become a shareholder all like the rest of us. Uh, we don't uh, change brands. We, we keep the brand on the door, which is something we're very proud of. And we're extremely good on the business side. We know what we're doing. We know how to do it. But we don't tell you how to inject uh, and how to treat your patients in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, we tell you what's best practices to get them in the room and to get them keep coming back into the clinic over and over and over again. Right. So that's what we do to to answer your next question, which is actually a question that's been coming in a lot over the last two weeks, is there's so much confusion around this private equity, MSO. Um, there's all these things that, that people are asking us that they really feel like they don't have a real good handle on yeah. what it all means and what structures. Yep. And the reason for that is that there's a lot of different iterations. So let's just take one step back, see if we can help folks out in really understanding is that. Private, equi- private equity is obviously the money, and that money can do a few different things. One, it could invest potentially in your clinic to make your clinic bigger. That private equity fund becomes your partner. Also, private equity can do is to create a platform mm-hmm. like ourselves, which is MedSpot Partners, where that platform is out there doing the actual acquisitions and they're acquiring everybody and kind of putting them under the same corporate umbrella. Right, right. The big difference is that MedSpot Partners, well, in our eyes, hopefully, is forever. Mm-hmm. MedSpot Partners is consistent. It doesn't matter who the financial sponsor is. MedSpot Partners is now this fully formed company. If you look at any company out there, the company itself, whether it be you know, Tesla or Coca-Cola or Microsoft or Apple, you know, those companies are there. The shareholders change every single day. And in fact, they're public companies. They change every single minute. But that that entity itself is still there. Right, so right. think about MedSpot partners like that, like an Apple or a Tesla or something like that, that just has a financial sponsor. Yeah. Now, that's a really, that's a really, actually a really good point, because the other thing which I think goes without saying, you know, for you, especially because you know, this being in the game um, with private equity, if it's a pure private equity play that their goal is to flip it at some point and sell it to either another private equity or a larger company. And so ownership is going to change. But what you're saying is that the, 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 the basic management side, Mitzvah partners is going to remain. So the underlying clinics that are going through, um, really going through some of this, um, you know, some of these 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 sales at a at a smaller level, aren't really going to be feeling the pinch when it comes to change in man- management and things like that. Theoretically, is 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 that fair? You're dead on. I mean, you're okay. absolutely correct about it. The the management company changes again, just like 
shareholders changing in those public companies every single minute that, you know, the company itself is not really feeling it. Um, And so for us, it doesn't matter who the financial sponsor is. The only time PE feels differently than that is when PE becomes your direct partner. And there are PE funds out there right now that are trying to invest in individual clinics to Mm -hmm. try to maybe kickstart a platform. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different. Um, and that's a little bit on your own. And, you know, just to take it back to podcast number one, when I was talking about the funeral business, uh, I made a fatal mistake in that business by bringing on a financial partner that a didn't understand business Mm -hmm. and B just wasn't a really good partner. Mm -hmm. And my thought was being a younger entrepreneur, I thought, Hey, you know, these guys are going to help us. They're smart financial guys. I didn't ask the number one question, which is, have you ever ran a business before? (laughs) And what you Hmm. may see with uh, a lot of PE and, and, and folks that are involved in PE is that they have never ran a business before. Um, And there's some that are too, right? But running a business and investing in a business are two completely different things. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting a PE fund, in because you think that they're going to bring a ton to the table and expertise and all these kind of things. Well, they may from a financial perspective, they may from an investment perspective, but you need to ask them if they've ever ran a business, that they ever actually ran a business. If they have great, have you ever ran a business in healthcare? Mm-hmm. Have you ever ran a business in retail healthcare? Right. Um, you know, these kind of questions are what you need to ask to kind of tease out whether or not that's going to be a really good partner. Right. When for us with Medspot Partners, you know, we're, you know, a platform currently of 25 will be over 30 very soon. We have done a lot of acquisitions, a lot of operations, a lot of organic growth. Like we are in the business and that's a bit your difference. And just quickly to just take it one step further, the MSO structure, nobody should fuss themselves with the MSO structure. Um, You have an MSO structure, you have a, a, a professional corp and you have the clinic and, um, the way it works in many states, and by the way, to make it more complicated, it's so different state to state, but in many right. states, if you're not a doctor, you can't own right. a clinic. So your professional corp owns the clinic, your MSO manages the professional corp, and that's how that relationship works. Right. Um, and so I, I think for a lot of folks, it, it tends to be confusing. You have every right to be confused because... <laughs> Um, the way the regulations are makes us have to do these weird kind of hybrid structures to make sure that we're in compliance. Right, right. And that's, you know, that, like you said, that's a function of, and, and for those of you who want to learn more, we've got a ton of information on MSOs and the law behind it um, on our website and other podcasts. It's, it's a function of of state law and um, really the, the, the separation kind of between church and state, as we like to say, which is between keeping medicine and business as separate as possible. So the MSO, you're coming in and you're handling the business aspects, but you're leaving the medicine to the, to the medical providers um, so that they can provide it um, the way that they see fit. And really what we've seen, and, and I'm curious kind of what your, what your take on this is, is it, because obviously different states allow different things, but really the issue is, is, the, the state medical boards don't want corporations that are driven by profit 
getting in the way of healthcare decisions. That's truly the kind of the reason. They want to keep those folks out um, and leave the, the healthcare up to the doctor um, or the APN or, or PA, whatever it may be. So that's kind of how it goes. How, how do you all handle that part? And, and I think you've, you've mostly answered that you have a, a you know, your, the clinic kind of runs itself on the medical side, but, but how, how do you operate with that? Because you're in all these different states. That's a really difficult task to keep that all straight. You, first of all, it's incredibly difficult. And, you know, there is a lot of regulatory uh, differences state to state. Right. You said something, though, that was really important. And I think we should just touch on it for a second, which is that the states are concerned and the regulatory bodies of the states are concerned about having corporations that are profit minded running healthcare. Right. I would like to believe that every single person owning a med spa is out there doing it because they want to create fantastic outcomes for their patients. And I think that is there, but they're also there to, to generate a profit. That's what we're all there. So I I always struggle with that because I, I think there's not that much difference between an individual wanting to generate profit for their own business and a corporation wanting to generate profit for their own group of businesses that um, are going to just continue doing what they were doing prior to sale. I think where it gets really sticky is when we get down to the ethics. Mm. And if you're doing treatments or procedures or things like that, that are just not the right thing for the patient. Hey, that's where there's a serious problem. And that's where for ourselves, we always talk about a Michelin star patient experience, but you can't give a Michelin star patient experience if you're going to do something that's not in the best interest, interest of that patient. And If you do that for long, you won't have a business anymore. And so um, I get where the regulatory bodies are coming from, but I just, in this space, I don't know much about what's happening in, um, you know, radiology and and, and these types of things. But in this space, uh, great business, great patient experiences bring great um, financial uh, performance. And I think that's what obviously... um, is a driver for a corporation, but for our corporation, we get the connection between that patient experience, yeah. that financial performance. Absolutely. No, and I think that you're in, in aesthetics, it's, it's different. It's so different than, you know, a lot of these laws are built because of, you know, testing labs and in relationships between folks, between doctors and labs and, um, and, and just trying to, you know, order tests and order things that aren't necessary. But in, in aesthetics, you're right. If the patient is happy, um, that should really be, be all that matters. Um, I, I do want to get back to, to what I thought was really interesting was um, after podcast one, you had folks reaching out to you and asking some questions. What was the kind of the what was the 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 most commonly asked question? And then I guess the, the second question to that would be what's kind of the most interesting question that, that, that you've been asked? <laughs> My, my team has told me that there is a lot of questions around what happens after acquisition, Yeah, uh, which makes sense. Uh, and we love answering that question because we have so many examples that we can provide them. In, from an after acquisition standpoint, I think folks are most concerned with, um, you know, where do I sit? Like, where's the control? Uh, what's happening? Um, to all my decision-making, what's happening to my staff, you know, all all these types Mm -hmm. of things. And for us, it's really fortunate because we can not only talk about, well, we had a great doctor in this practice. They were supposed to leave 
a year ago, but they're so happy they just have stayed to continue to treat patients. Um, by the way, we think that's our job. Our job is to make life so good for the doctors that they don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, the second part about that is, you know, we can tell them stories of, look, we've walked into a situation and we've said, wow, the management of the clinic is not great. Let's work with our selling uh, physician uh, or owner and say, you know, how, how do we make this better? How do we put right management in? But what I think really allows us from our size is to say, let's put you on the phone. Let's put you on the phone with a bunch of different folks. Uh, we put you on the phone with with different people that have sold to us and they can tell you what life looks like after the fact. Uh, because we spend probably a month and a half prior to close just talking about what happens after close. Mm-hmm. If you're out there and you want to buy a clinic uh, and you're thinking about buying clinics, you need to spend so much time figuring out what life is going to look like after close. And most importantly, make sure that there's actually a agreement between you on what it's supposed to look like between close and make sure that's crystal clear. If that's mm-hmm. the case. You know, everyone's going to be pretty happy uh, yeah. going forward. Yeah, I can. No, I, I, I can only imagine the um, there's a lot of anxiety from owners when it comes to, you know, the day after, right? What happens? Because um, what what you're doing is is identifying weak weaknesses really in in the business, you know, soft spots that need to be improved or efficiencies that you can add to bring them in. Um, but um, in order to do that, you're kind of in a way, not kind of, you are, you're, you're, you know, you're pointing out these weaknesses to these folks. And sometimes that means making changes. Um, that brings a lot of angst and fear. Um, and, and what's that process like? I mean, are you going in and doing a full audit of their, you know, software systems? Are you listening to their phone calls? Is it that, is it that detailed or is it, is it more bigger picture? We're going to kind of, you know, see how this goes and, and then start to, to, to tweak. No one's ever asked me that question in that way. And it's, it, it's so great the way you asked that, which is, it really depends for us on what, we want the clinic to look like going forward and what we've agreed that the clinic is going to look like going forward from a management perspective. Yes, we, we've gotten down to the nitty gritty of listening to phones. By the way, phones is my pet peeve. Mm-hmm. Like that is the thing that makes me nuts. By the way, anybody out there listening, if you have a call prompt on your phone when your patients are trying to call you, you need to rip it out and answer the phone. Yeah, if you just kidding. do that, you will be successful. Uh, But we get down to the nitty gritty of really trying to understand the business. We feel that we're buying a lot of great businesses. So we work really close with the clinic managers to see how they're running. We show them all the best practices. They're probably doing a bunch of them. And we help them either A, um, execute them or B, be able to kind of go and start some new best practices that we have. I think what, you know, when we look at clinics and what makes us successful going in is we do spend a lot of time listening and a lot less time telling. Mm -hmm. We really spend a lot of time listening to what do you think has been working right? You know what you find in a ton of clinics is that they know everything that's going wrong. They just don't have the bandwidth to Mm -hmm. actually fix it or Mm -hmm. they know it's wrong, but they, when you have someone that is 
uh, I feel, a great manager, they'll raise their hand and say, I don't know how to fix this. I don't, I don't really know, but I see there's a problem. I just don't have the path to actually get there. And so we see that, I would say, more often than not, mm-hmm. um, that they're aware of the problems, but they just either don't know how to fix it or don't have the bandwidth to fix it. Right. And I think for anybody out there, uh, I think I might have said this on the last podcast, you know, I, I think on the last podcast I talked about taking a day to just stop and, and yeah. think about patient attention. Yeah. I think I think this is similar, which is, you know, sit down or, you know, write a serious problem. By the way, I, I had done something in my last business, which I, I really uh, enjoy and I've talked about and I've spoke about it a lot of times. If you sit down with your team and, and if you took a half a day, and you took a whiteboard and you wrote on the top of it, why do we suck? Mm-hmm. And you put down on that board every reason why you would not want to be a patient of that clinic. You will go so far so fast by yeah. just identifying those problems. That's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Nobody ever wants to do that because no one wants to see that sitting in front of their yeah. face. I've done it in every single business I've uh, had in the last, I want to say, 10 years or 12 years, which has been, been a lot of businesses. And that there's nothing that's more cleansing, uh, more liberating, and more effective than actually just sitting down and writing, why does this business suck? Like, why would someone not want to do business with us? Right. That tells you every single thing you need to know. Yeah, and I, I bet that most of the time... Um, not all the time, but most of the time, the reasons that you're coming up with are probably more visible to you than they are to the to your actual customers, and that folks don't see them quite as much as you do. I mean, there's probably a handful that they do, but but that, that's it. and then do you also go in and say, you know, why are we? Why would someone come to us? Like, what do we do well? Because to me, that's the the other side of the coin is is taking advantage of your advantages. Like what, like what do you do? Well, what do you have working for you that you can capitalize on? Cause it really, when, when you're, you know, you're talking about building your business and tweaking it, that's really what you're doing. You're, you're trying to fix the things that aren't working and, and amplify the things that are. Yeah. And look, you're always going to, you're always going to need to identify the things you do well. Yeah. I think that's for sure. And I think that's the easier part of it. I think the things that people struggle with, and especially entrepreneurs, whether you're a, you're a, a, a straight entrepreneur, you're a, a nurse, you're a doctor, you're still an entrepreneur, and it's still your baby. And it's hard to say that your baby's ugly. And <laughs> it's hard to say that your baby's not smart. Yeah. And the yeah. good news about this baby is you can make them pretty and you can make them smart yeah. and you can do all the things that you have to do to make it such a better running business. But you at least have to own up to the fact of, Hey, these are the things that we're not doing well. And here's all the things that we're really doing great. If we can get these other things as great as the, the great things, yeah. wow, we'll be incredible. And funny enough, one of the biggest, I think struggles that we have as a company when we're doing acquisitions is that, People's identity are so tied up in the ownership of their business. Mm-hmm. And I think it's um, it's not as overt uh, for the individual as you would think. They're not quite as aware of how their identity is tied up in a business. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, we've seen several folks kind of go through, uh, call it in the first two to three months, 
a bit of shell shock. Yeah. Uh, I no longer own this business. Yeah. And this is really strange for me. And this has been my identity yeah. where we've had some others that have had other things going on outside the business. And it's just not quite as big of an impact, but yeah. identity uh, connection to your business. It's not um, isolated to just this industry, obviously it's a real thing. Yeah. It's a real thing. Yeah. And some people need to kind of I'll bet. work through. So um, I, I do want to get to, to the most interesting question that you've got. But before I do that, and I, I'm saying this because I know I'm going to forget if I don't ask you. Um, you mentioned, and, and part of your value prop is that you don't change the brands, right, of, these, of your underlying clinics. They get to right. keep their brand. Um, I'm Number one, I'm curious as to... As to as to why you chose to go that way, and is are there any circumstances where you can envision yourself merging some of the brands together? Yeah. So, so answer the first question. Yes, we we don't rebrand, though we have had situations where us and the seller have decided yes, we should do a rebrand on sale. Okay. Um, it's very rare for us to do that. Uh. We have looked at potentially, like we're fine buying brands that have multi-locations. Yeah. And sometimes we may see a location that goes, gosh, you know what? That's a really good fit for that brand we already have. And we may look at that too and, and do that. Okay. The answer to the question is we're incredibly flexible on it because we actually don't think there's a right answer. Other than we don't really believe in one single national slash international brand. We think that um, is not the smartest strategy for us. Uh, it might work really great for others. Mm -hmm. Just for us and the the caliber and level of clinics and physicians and entrepreneurs and the rest of it that we are bringing in uh, don't jive very well um, with one single brand. Hey folks, Alex Tiersch here, and I want to thank our sponsors for this podcast, RepeatMD. And here's a question for you. What's the number one reason you haven't purchased the latest laser for your aesthetic practice? Or why haven't you launched that new treatment that you've been talking about for months? If you're like most, it's because you don't have the time. Time to train the staff, time to consult with your patients, time to run social media ads. The issue of time is real, and it's overwhelming. It's no wonder why businesses stop investing and eventually stop growing. But what if I told you it didn't have to be that way? What if a company like Starbucks had already solved this problem and their solution can solve this for you just like it does for them? In fact, the solution works so well, it allowed them to successfully launch 42 new products in 2020 across 15,000 locations. So what's the magic solution for Starbucks? It's called the Starbucks Rewards mobile app. And for you, it's called RepeatMD. RepeatMD builds your aesthetic practice, its own private label mobile rewards app. Think of it like Starbucks rewards, but built specifically for your aesthetics practice. Here are RepeatMD's average results for their clients. 51 new patient referrals in the first 90 days. Eight out of 10 rewards members purchase a new service within the first six months. And $313,000 in top line revenue growth in the first year alone. Visit repeatmd.com slash amspa to book a quick product demonstration. That's repeatmd.com slash amspa, amspa. You'll receive 50% off towards your purchase for being a listener of Medical Spa Insider. Again, repeatmd.com slash amspa. Thanks very much. 
I think you're right, and I think it really depends, right? There's there, there may be some folks out there where a national brand works. I think the keeping individual brands, I think, is important. Um, and by the way, for everybody, I have construction going outside my house, of course. This is what happens when you do a podcast at home. Um, um, but um, the what about well, one thing that we always hear when you talk about multi locations or um, when you're building yourself up with with and you're building a brand up is is the need and the ability to be consistent across locations, be able to always have the same processes to have be able to use your 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 power of of numbers to to be able to uh, increase your buying power to have processes when it comes to patient retention, which I know you're big on acquiring patients. Um, are you doing that even though you've got, you know, 15 different brands, are you getting them all to be saying the same thing when they're answering the phone to having kind of the same message when it comes to patient retention, or are you, um, helping them develop their own strategy that kind of fits using your, 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 your baseline philosophy that this has to be done in a certain way. Does that make sense? It does. I would say that processes are standardized. Okay. Um, best practices are standardized. Yeah. Um, but local nuance and brand is not standardized. Right. Um, brand from marketing perspective, but also from answering the phone. You know, um, we could be in, uh, let's use Chicago. You know, you're going to answer the phone differently than you're going to answer the phone in um, Nashville. Yeah. Or somewhere like that. Yeah. Right. It's going to feel a little different. The vibe is going to be a little different. We think that we've done a good job not forcing culture um, mm. from a perspective of that individual locale onto each and every clinic. Mm. We've taken the parts that we believe can be standardized while also letting that clinic still have what makes it special, what makes it unique, mm-hmm. what makes it part of the community, what makes it really important when people walk in, they go, Oh, this actually feels like home instead of, you know, think about this um, because I've lived both in Chicago and Southern California, the vibe of those two places are so different that, you know, I don't know. I'd be comfortable walking into that Southern California clinic with that Chicago. uh, It's just a totally different thing. And so We've really tried to uh, walk the line. Does it take us more time and a little bit more effort and a little bit more money to do it? Yep, we do. But we standardize all the other pieces and parts of that. I think cultural locale is 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 where you know we really draw the line. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I and and you know I think it goes to and I've I've had I mean more conversations with with private equity on very you know for them doing research to to you know just trying to figure out what's going on in the industry. Um, and one thing I always tell them is, in my mind, what you're saying is absolutely true about this industry is that there's a very local um, local connection that both the brand and the individual providers have with the patients. Whereas it's not like 
Best Buy, right? I'm going to go to Best Buy or I'm going to go to Whole Foods and I know exactly what I'm going to get. It's like when I have someone who's who's injecting, you know, neurotoxin into my face, I want this to be somebody that I know and that I trust. And the chances of me when I'm in, you know, Vegas for the weekend popping into a, a, a chain to be like, oh, yeah, it's the same chain. It must be the same thing. You know, there's some things where that might work. But in this industry, I feel like different brands that are connected to the community and that have you know, individuals who are connected with their providers, that's where, where you're going to be able to work. And, and what private equity, I think, has had some struggle with is figuring out how you do that and package it on a large enough scale to make it worth it for them. Right. Yeah. And, and we've been able to do it. It's difficult. And I think just in this phone, uh, this, this podcast right now, I popped in, an analogy popped in my head that I've never been able to pull together before. And I think this is it. When you go to the store and when we, we say whole foods, mm-hmm. well, we all like going to whole foods, but when we go to whole foods and we see a wall of, things that we want to buy that are all the same. Mm-hmm. My eyes tend to go to the one with the more individualized branding. Right. And I even see that in more of a local yeah. um, store that I go to my eyes and, and my feel still go to that individual branding, not the one that looks like everything else. You know, and if you take that a bit further, when you talk about clinics, you know, 50 clinics with the same name, may not quite feel as unique as I need to get my own unique individual experience that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's worked for us and worked well. And listen, there are folks that have have, um, put platforms together and they're all using a single brand and they're doing okay Mm -hmm. uh, too, right? Um, I, I think that's fine. But I go back to, you know, we really want great clinics. We want the best. We're not looking for lots of locations. We're looking for best locations. And that goes back to that uniqueness and that specialness. Mm -hmm. Right? No, I I agree. It's, it's, it's interesting. And sometimes you even see like in, in, in whole foods, you'll see, you'll see them try to make it individual towards the location that they're in to try to make it a little bit different. So, um, so what's what's the most? I'm curious. Just you know, it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be with someone who called you after the podcast, but I'm just curious. What, what's what, what's a question that you've been asked since you started doing this in this industry with with med spas and aesthetics that 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 has really kind of either knocked you off your heels a little bit or made you go, "Wow, that's an interesting question that that I just never thought." I'm putting you on the spot here, so I, I'm not yeah, going to no, I, I think the best way to answer it is. Sometimes we've gotten knocked out by someone calling us up and saying, would you be interested in a clinic that does boom, boom, boom? And it's all of a sudden like new things. So um, what we've seen coming across the border is there's a lot of um, hormone hormone replacement Mm -hmm. therapy going on in Mm -hmm. the clinics. That was a little more new for for what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, We're also seeing just women's health. There's a lot of stuff. And I think on the women's health side, I I think everybody thought, wow, women's health in these clinics is going to be a massive, um, you know, explosion. We're going to have so many people come to the clinic. And I haven't seen that materialize Mm -hmm. yet. But I've seen some really interesting, interesting models of how to actually generate a lot more um, women's health patients in the clinics. And by doing so, 
you know, doing a combination of, you know, hormone replacement therapy and all these other treatments. Um, but I have to say, I, I'm surprised because I think that women's health uh, inside medical aesthetic clinics is is a great fit. It mm-hmm. should be uh, part of it. It should be a lot more successful. But what I think is that we've potentially done a really poor job of marketing it properly mm-hmm. um, to get those folks into the clinic to realize that, hey, there are actually treatments and procedures here that are of great interest to you. And, yeah. you know, we do that. So I think we've done a bad job of it so far. It's tough. I, I think that's a really good point. And um, it's, it's, I, I think the, the, the line that you're drawing with wellness and, and you know, anti aging, hormonal, hormone treatments, things like that is a good one because it's, it's different enough. But we see it even in, clinics within their other modalities that they just they they're not comfortable selling other treatments that they have just because they're not comfortable doing it um i think it it's but you're right it's 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 all it it very much comes down to a a uh, this industry learning how to how to kind of how to do that how to how to how to educate their patients if they have you know if they have hormone treatment which is hugely successful and anyone who I know has, has used it and has loved it and the the clinics that 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 offer it are doing very well to me that's a no-brainer I mean everyone's got you know should be getting into that but you know not everybody does and so there's there's definitely that there there, there there's a learning curve there that um you know that, that I think in some ways we struggle to 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 meet but but we'll get better yeah, you know what? What also I've really found in this industry that's a little bit different than other industries is that I've never ran into an industry where I've talked to somebody about something incredibly successful like cool sculpting. Okay, mm-hmm. we we've seen clinics just absolutely crushing on cool sculpting. Asked other clinics, why aren't you carrying that? Oh, because everybody else is doing it. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're doing it for a reason because it's actually successful. You don't have to be that individual to not use yeah. something that someone else is actually using. It doesn't like exclusivity in this industry isn't going to ever last. It's it's going to be in several clinics. You might as well be part of it. I'm always really shocked when I hear people saying, "Well, no, that's nothing." I'm also a little bit shocked at when we're talking about, you know, uh, hormone hormone replacement therapy or HRT, um, that people are not more curious uh, from Mm -hmm. a med spa perspective to at least take a look at it and say, Mm -hmm. what is it? What Mm -hmm. do I need to provide it? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think the only danger is, you know, with HRT, uh, and I'm not a doctor, uh, but I have lots of doctors and have clinical advisory board and chief clinical officers and all the rest, you know, you have you would have to have the right setup for that mm-hmm. to, I think, provide fantastic service, mm-hmm. excellent service where you're really going to be doing it in a way that's really ethical. But like said, Alex, there's so many people that are, are doing it that are excited about it, about the results from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's it's something to explore. So I think we need a lot more open mindedness. I guess. Yeah. And, and, and while you were talking, I, I kind of thought of another question and you had mentioned this earlier and how do you, is there any assessment from you and your team when you, when you acquire someone or are looking to acquire someone where you're either 
saying, hey, we want you to offer or we think you might feel like offering a certain treatment like cool sculpting or conversely, if they if they say, hey, we do all this stuff and you love them and then they say, well, we also do this, this, this and, the, and there are treatments that maybe you're not comfortable with. Is there a discussion where you're like, OK, we either have to eliminate or we have to add or we want to add? Yeah, the only time we've ever eliminated a service is when it didn't it didn't comply with applicable law. Right. That is usually, uh, and we have run into situations where you know maybe they were using something that didn't uh, comply or those things. So that was the only time we take something away. Um, the only time we've added is that we do have come in and said, "Look, we think you should add this, uh, but here's the reason why. Here's all the data." Here is what's where we're at in all of our other clinics. Here's what it's generating. More importantly, here's where the return rate is on mm-hmm. patients that have had it and how happy they are. That to us is, is really important. Uh, so we try to do our best to put in what we think is, is very successful. We try to go ahead and to put in to clinics that we know based on data, mm-hmm. evidence-based, it really works. But we also are very cognizant of the fact that a lot of our clinics are a little bit different and everything doesn't work everywhere. Um, We have some clinics that are pure Asian demographic clinics Mm -hmm. that have a very specific Mm -hmm. set of uh, devices that they need to get because for for that demo in that community, you know, they're very brand conscious and they Mm -hmm. really want these specific things. So, you know, we tend to listen up on, on, on those types of things when Mm -hmm. we have that situation. That's interesting. Um, that's very interesting. Um, what I'm, I'm curious for, for, for folks that are listening, um, that maybe have a, you know, have a successful med spa and are in, and are thinking for the next level or the next step, um, that maybe want to, you know, spend more time doing the medicine as opposed to running the business. Um, when you talk to them, what's the kind of the investment horizon for lack of a better word, or the, the timeline that they're looking at? Like talk about, I guess maybe the the better way is like, what is the deal structure? And I know there's, there's equity that goes up into the mothership as you say, but then eventually, you know, what if they, what if they're saying, look, I want to retire. Uh, I'm ready to go spend more time with my kids. I've been working my ass off on this for so long. How, how does that work? So I, I won't go into specifics if that's okay, but let yeah. me at least kind of just draw a picture. Yeah. You know, anyone coming in to buy your practice is buying that practice on the premise of future cash flows being equal to or greater than current cash flows, right? right? Which is completely fair. You buy a business, hey, I want this, I paid a certain amount for it based on your numbers, we want those numbers to continue. It's a, it's a really interesting dynamic in negotiations because it's very dependent also on the, uh, the structural DNA of the clinic itself, meaning you have a lead physician who owns the clinic, and if that lead physician um, is doing 90% of the billings, well, you're going to be pretty particular about that person staying on for quite a while to kind of continue to guarantee that those billings come in. Um, whereas if you had another clinic and there were four injectors and that clinician is only doing 25% or 20% of the billings, 
it's really going to offer you a lot more leeway to say, hey, great. I know you want to go get and take some more time. Let's go ahead and kind of put some pieces in place so you can transition patients over uh, and start moving them through. I said this earlier, I want to say it again, like our job, a a lot of times what we've seen with uh, physicians and or nurses that own clinics and are injecting, after the close and after the transition, they all of a sudden find that life inside the clinic is so much easier and Mm -hmm. so much simpler that I thought I wanted to take a bunch of time off or work less. But what I really have realized is that my days have become so much more efficient that maybe what I was doing in three days, I could do the same amount of billings in two days. And my life is pretty awesome because I show up and then I get to leave at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that kind of iteration before Mm -hmm. um we've also you know seen situations where and listen we have um we have practices that we bought where the doctor was in their 60s and practices we bought where the doctor's in their 30s and um we've been able to kind of take with some of the doctors that are really kind of looking closer to retirement to say great here's the transition plan here's how we're gonna move it along here's how we're gonna move the patient's um along to the other doctors and it's been really successful uh when we're able to do that mm-hmm. and i think the doctors are really happy because they're like gosh i never even saw like because you got to realize it up until i don't know i mean at least up up in canada and even and now currently in the u.s for medical aesthetic clinics there was no succession route other than potentially getting an associate in and being able to buy the clinic. And the problem with associates buying clinics now is so many clinics have gotten to such a size that trying to come up with the the dollars and funds to actually purchase that clinic Mm -hmm. has become really tough. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there just really weren't any outlets from a succession standpoint. Mm -hmm. If, uh, if someone went through it, we've seen clinics that uh, we're like, okay, let's worship in that clinic. What's going on? Oh, Dr. Smith actually just shut the doors six months ago. Mm-hmm. He had a thriving practice and just said, all right, I'm done and closed the doors just yeah. because he didn't realize there was any, yeah. any exit, you know, for him. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. And you're right. I mean, it's, it's whenever you have, and we see this with plastic surgery all the time. Like when you have, you know, Joe Schmo plastic surgery and associates of whatever Beverly Hills. And if they're a huge plastic surgeon, that that's tough when they're no longer, you know, they have to, there has to be a, a, a clear succession plan in place to get somebody else in. Otherwise they're going to, they're, they're, they're going to lose people. Um, well, we've also seen like plastic surgery in particular, we've seen plastic surgery practices where 90% of the business is plastic surgery and 90% of the plastic surgery is from one doctor. Yeah. And wow, that makes it really tough mm-hmm. um, to buy that business because there's an incredible amount of risk. And, you know, it's just yeah. not anything that, that you could put under an investment thesis to make sense. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, good. We've been talking for, talking for another forty-five minutes. I'm, 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 I'm curious though, as we kind of work towards wrapping wrapping this up. Um, and I'm sure we'll have you again for part three one of these days. So, don't worry. Uh, I'd love to do part three. But, but, um, where do you? 
see, you know, your, your you know, kind of thesis that, that, that you're using with allowing folks to keep their, their, their brand, um, which I think is very smart. Um, but at, at the same time, we see, you know, private equity in, in backed brands that are building and trying to open up, you know, across all 50 states in a very short time period. Um, where do you see the kind of the big box brand, for lack of a better word, coming into medical? Is that, do, do you think that's um, going to be a reality where there will be, you know, one or two big, bigger brands that kind of take over and start grabbing market share? Or is it going to continue to be more mom and pop and places like yours that allow people to be mom and pops, even though if they're not managed? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a question I think that everybody's wondering. Mm-hmm. First, I'd like to start here. Like, I'm a half glass full kind of guy, from a, and it's for nothing more than actually looking at the data and understanding the industry. The more clinics out there, the more patients out there, it's going to attract more and more patients in. Mm. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, can a big box provide a patient experience that's going to allow those patients to feel good and delighted enough to keep coming back to that same big box over and over again? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be a fantastic generator of patients that's going to help them, you know, get their first baseline procedure and then say, wow, I'm so interested in getting more and I'm so interested in getting a better outcome. Um, I think that is potentially where we go. Now, it's not that, you know, like big boxes have a lot of might. You know, they have a lot of a might and a lot of strength. And if they are focused on, on patient experience, then they can tend to put some of that might in place to try to, give a good experience and retain and those kind of things. I mean, we see a lot of business coming to us from big box. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we just recently, uh, laser clinics of Australia has just started laser clinics, Canada or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can't tell you the amount of freaking out I have when I talk to, to, uh, <laughs> doctors and business owners up here about that. I was like, what are you, what are you freaking out about? Yeah. Well, they're going to come in and they're going to, they're going to undercut everything and everything like that. And it's like, well, not necessarily. I mean, they're, mm. they're coming in and trying to run a business and they have margins and they have, um, their financial sponsor, which is huge, mm-hmm. uh, does want to return. Mm-hmm. And so margins are important at, at a certain point mm-hmm. and they'll be in a situation where they're going to have to produce. Uh, but if you provide a great experience for your patients, they're going to keep coming back to you. And these guys will churn out and generate more patients for you. Just like an ideal image, mm-hmm. just like a Milan laser, just like all of them. Now the question mm-hmm. Alex is mm-hmm. when do they all start consolidating, mm-hmm. which is, when do you start getting two big boxes that are start to come together mm-hmm. to give themselves, you know, huge amount mm-hmm. of geographic coverage mm-hmm. to be able to then say, well, we're at, you know, 250 locations and okay, well, we have 250 locations. Okay. Now we have 500 locations. Mm-hmm. That is what I think you'll probably see in like a, let's call it like a three to five year time period 
you might see some consolidations of the big boxes themselves. Mm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, that'll be interesting. And and I, I think it's actually a, a an interesting point that you make that, you know, the, these larger retail type, which, you know, we're all in that, in that uh, we're all retail, but the, but the larger big box brands, for lack of a better word, are in some ways going to help everybody else by generating more patience and, and increasing interest, um, yeah. which is and, interesting. I never yeah, and that. just one thing I, I just want to, just one quick uh, piece of data for, for everybody. So the equivalent of Walgreens mm-hmm. in Canada um, called Chopper's Drug Mart, Okay. Decided we're getting into the medical aesthetics business. Mm-hmm. And they said, we're opening up medical aesthetic clinics. We're going to use all of our might mm-hmm. and we're going to go at it. And it failed completely. Mm-hmm. It was a complete failure. Don't underestimate the fact that businesses blow up all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you see some of these big boxes and whatnot, the ones that are just churning out net new locations like crazy. Yeah. Don't be shocked if all of a sudden you're going to see, you know, massive closures later on down the line, because, you know, I think it's a uh, medical aesthetics is something that is incredibly attractive and people see that it's growing like crazy and they're like, how hard could it be? Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. might not see some uh, successes as you kind of expected. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. I think, um, I mean, it's hard, especially the, 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 the larger brands across state lines that, that becomes really tricky and it's, and I don't know that any of them have truly solved for it yet because under the, you know, we're going to have one brand that's going to be, you know, ubiquitous across the country. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's tough to do. And I don't, they haven't solved it yet because every state is so different. The patients are different. Um, the demand is different. It's the way they, you know, talk and interact with how they, I think one of the interesting things that also plays into this is just the aesthetic of Dallas and what is popular in Dallas is much different than it is in Chicago or Toronto or, you know, and then Beverly Hills and San Francisco are different from one another. So it's tough to have, it's tough to have a a singular brand across states when there's just so many differences, but it's, I can't wait to see how it plays out. Yeah, me too. Listen, I'm, I'm curious with you. I'm, I've popped popcorn over here uh, as well <laughs> to sit back and watch it and, and see what happens because I think it hasn't been written yet how that's all going to play out. And again, when you're opening this many net new locations and you have to manage this many practitioners, mm-hmm. it's, really, uh, it's really interesting to see what will happen. Well, so what, uh, I mean, what's, what, what's next for you guys? I we'll, we'll have you back, I'm sure, but you're, you're in Canada, you're in the U S you're, you're obviously in, in acquisition mode. Um, are, are you, is there are plans for more expansion beyond North America or what's your, what's your thought? So right now, no, our, our focus is on U S and Canada. That's our, our full focus. And we just, um, just been named, um, of the best managed companies in Canada by Deloitte. Uh, That's awesome. There's 25, uh, but we were the youngest company uh, to get that designation uh, this year. So we're excited about optimizing 
continuing to get better and better, continuing to um, to roll out and continuing to look at you know new treatments, new procedures, new ideas. But our expansion is aggressive, incredibly aggressive. Um, you know where we're going to be um, in 12 months from now will be very different than actually where we are today, and um, we're really excited about that. We 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 just think there's um, so much to do and so much more to do, and uh, excited that we're actually able to do it now. You know, cross border, uh, but I don't see us at any time. Um, you know, we do get calls all the time from. Uh, well, you guys, um, you know, you guys interested in coming to Europe or you come mm-hmm. to China or you coming to Mexico or Brazil. Um, right now, no, that's, that's, that's not yeah, where it focuses. That's a lot to, I mean, honestly, people ask us that too for AmSpot. It's like, when's AmSpot coming to Australia? And it's like, you know, we will, but right now we're still... <laughs> We're still trying to figure out the U.S. because there's so much demand here. It's yeah. It's and it's the this industry is so crazy and growing so quickly. It's just uh, there's there's it's very easy to get ahead of yourself and get out over your skis and and lose control. So we think so too. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's take her a little slower and steadier <laughs> than uh, than hitting Europe or Australia right now. Well, this is awesome. I, you know, I appreciate all of your, your, your insight and, and being honest with us. I think what you guys are offering is, is exciting. Um, congrats on the Stephen Diane, uh, Stevie D as I like to call him, um, back from my days. Um, he's, he, we've known him for a long time. He's a bit, been a big supporter and fan of AMSPA. So we're, we're happy for you guys about that. Um, and keep us posted with what's going on and we'll have, we'll have you back in a bit and, and, and see where, see where it's, what's going on. Will do. Thank you so much, Alex, for having us. We really appreciate it. Awesome. No, and and it's MedSpa Partners. What's your what's your website again? In case in case folks want to want to reach out to you. Guys? Sure, sure. It's just uh, MedSpaPartners.com. MedSpaPartners.com. Easy breezy. I love it. Yeah. All right, Dominic. Thanks, I appreciate Alex. it. Thank you. Yep. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa Podcast Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Dominic Mazzoni from MedSpa Partners. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button to receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.